taking paws off me, you damn dirty ass. We've done studies, you know, 60% of the time it works every time. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. I drink your milkshake. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Cinefleck. I am your host, Ethan Colburn. Uh, thank you guys so much for being patient with me. I haven't put out an episode in a while. Uh, you know, people's people's schedules are changing more. It was a lot. It's a lot easier to schedule things. You know, peak pandemic where everyone was just inside all the time. So I had a few episodes fall through, but um, hopefully, I'll be getting back on more of a regular schedule. First of all, Happy New Year. Um, I wanted to make a podcast kind of celebrating some of the best movies of 2021, which turned out to be, I'd say, a much better movie year than I was expecting. Like, I I was really blown away by a lot of these movies. There was a lot of ones that we talked about that I really liked and a lot that, you know, we just kind of touched on. Um, I definitely hope with some, with some of these I can go back and... Um, do a full podcast on them. So hopefully at some point we'll do that. Um, other than that, uh, next week, I'm very, very excited to announce, uh, I'm going to interview Carly Lolly music about the movie parasite. Um, I have recorded that conversation. It was really, really fun. Uh, she is a chef you might know from the Bon Appetit YouTube channel. Uh, she's a best-selling cookbook author. She's like one of my uh, chef icons. And that, it's just a total pleasure to have this podcast when I get to talk to like some of my favorite people that I never really expected to get the chance to talk to. So uh, this is just one of those uh, conversations that I was just so honored to be able to have with her. So look for that next week. Um, someone told me that uh, Spotify now has a way to rate podcasts. So please rate us on Spotify because I don't think we have that many ratings on there. Um, and then definitely review us on Apple Podcasts too. I want to reveal to you guys, this is very exciting. I got my, I got my first one-star review um, and this absolutely cracked me up. Uh, it's from Peter Lowe, L-O-E-W, 1988. Um, and the title is Big Hater in all caps. And this person goes, Vampire's Kiss is a good movie, period. You are lame, period. <laughs> Which is just, it's incredible. Um, I, I guess I, I, I reviewed Vampire's Kiss on my letterbox. I never actually talked about it on the podcast. <laughs> I, love I love that I inspired so much hate in someone to like uh, go out and post that review on my podcast, like find my podcast, track it down, and then post this review. Anyway, absolutely fantastic. But if you guys want to just like pile on uh, some five-star reviews on top of that, so my latest isn't a one-star, that would be helpful. So yeah, whatever, or, you know, ob obviously like sharing the episodes on social media is always helpful, just kind of getting the word out. So um I'll probably do a big promo push for next week's podcast because I'm really excited about that. Anyway, sorry for the long intro. I love all you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. And uh, without further ado, let me throw you into this week's conversation with Griffin. I hope you enjoy. All right, Griffin, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? Hey, what's up, Ethan? Uh, doing well. Glad to be back. <laughs> Let's just pretend like we didn't just have a five-minute conversation, and and uh, we're now just seeing each other for the first time. It's great to see you. <laughs> yeah, what conversation? Uh, great to see you too, Ethan. I don't know. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, so we're here to talk about our favorite movies of 2021. Now that 2021 has wrapped, we've had some. We've had 16 days officially to view some of the later releases in 2021. First of all, how how was your how was your year? really bad but also really good you know <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah tell I, me about I, it being stuck at home shitty i wanted to be done with the pandemic i, I wanted to to go out live my normal life and uh but at the same time like be, being able to meet new friends being able to, to go to different places and just being able to 
really grow as a person. Like that's what, that's what your early twenties are all about. Aren't they? Hell yeah. I met you this year, right? Was that this year or last year? I have no sense of time anymore. That was this year. 2021. Yeah. 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 That was lovely. We went on a little hike. Griffin took me on a hike. (laughs) We We, we, uh, climbed up some snow. (laughs) We climbed up, we, we like, (laughs) we climbed over some snow. We went to a really cool record store. It was, it was a solid day. Super solid. Yeah. Good times. Um, Okay. Well, top movies of, of 2021. First of all, how do you feel about like this as a movie year overall? I feel like it was a pretty good year. Like we had a lot of holdover from movies that were supposed to come out in 2020 that didn't right. come out that we got in 2021. But we also had a lot of movies that were pushed from 2021 to 2022. So it was a very weird year, especially due to um, which movies were coming out in theaters and which were not. But it seemed like the last few months of 2021, just banger after banger was coming out every week. I was at the theater every Thursday night seeing something that I was really excited to see. Totally. Yeah. I felt like I felt like I was there was a point in November where I was like, this is a really weak movie year. And then mm-hmm. December, they started to roll around. And then I was like, oh, yeah, OK, this is solid. Like, I think I think um, the Oscars getting pushed back, I think a lot of uh like oscar movies are just getting released later and so Mm -hmm. it's really like december is when like the really good stuff uh dropped but um i mean even then there was some there was some early ones in the year like you know i mean i totally think of judas and the black messiahs from last year's oscar race i mean i guess the year before but but um that was solidly in february so there there are plenty of great movies from early on this year um and then uh sundance and can were both really good this year so yeah i mean you you've got to go to can <laughs> super jealous about that yeah i'll take you next year we'll do it um Sweet, thank you yeah you're welcome <laughs> i don't know if i can commit financially to that but um i will i will try i will try my best <laughs> can you get me on the jury or anything like that come on man yeah i'll, I'll, I'll pull some strings okay thank you <laughs> um let's see here so we both have our top fives um are there any like honorable mentions you want to jump into anything that like you feel like people aren't really talking about enough or just things that you had had trouble cutting from your top five uh i have so many honorable mentions like i i I usually don't put together like a a year-end list of movies until the end of the year until i feel like i've seen everything so Yesterday, I was just kind of throwing everything onto a list and kind of being able to reflect on all that I've seen throughout the year. And oh, I haven't thought about this movie in, in six months or, man, I, I feel so much differently about this movie since I've seen it. But there's just so much good shit out there. Like there, there were 30 movies that I generally really, really like this year. And there, there are quite a few that I just don't see a whole lot of people logging on Letterboxd. So yeah. The, the, the main one that comes to mind is... Um, I'm not even sure if you've seen this, but uh, have you seen Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn? Can you repeat? Is that a, are those words that go together? (laughs) The full title of the movie is Bad Luck Banging or Looney Porn. Okay. It's, it's a Romanian film. Oh, I see it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it starts with like a three minute sex tape. That's very explicit and shows everything, but it's about this, um, teacher in Romania who gets her sex tape leaked online intentionally or unintentionally. Mm-hmm. And then it's just kind of about the, the fallout and the aftermath of that. So, so the first act is just Damn. her kind of dealing with realizing that it's online and all, all the parents of the, of the kids in her class are getting mad and everything like that. And then the second act just becomes this avant-garde montage of different images and captions. And it's qu- quite literally, I, I haven't seen anything like it. And the third act is just this almost like PTA meeting of just all these arguments and philosophies clashing and and an ending that I don't even want to begin to spoil. But it is it is the craziest thing I've seen all year. That sounds wild. I'm gonna to have to check that out. I, I I've seen the poster before. It's a great just kind of like simple abstract poster. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, that is really that that's really really interesting. I'm gonna have to pull that up. Um, any other any other just like random like smaller movies that 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 you feel aren't getting enough attention? 
Um, Have you seen Bergman Island yet? Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, I saw Bergman Island. Okay. <laughs> I, I feel like um, Bergman Island was to me what Spider-Man No Way Home was. To us, to us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could see that. It was like like the movie, like pretty damn good. Like really liked it, but just all the references and little Easter eggs in there. It's like, holy shit, that's the house from Through a Glass Dark. Oh my God. I know. Like that's totally how I felt in theaters. And I was like whispering to Paige. It's like, that's the thing where like they they, <laughs> they go to the beach in that one movie. <laughs> She's like, I don't care. <laughs> but like, that was I, 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 that was Paige's that that was Paige and I's biggest disagreement of any movie we saw together oh, all year. Paige. I know. Let us down. I mean <laughs> it's like what, I didn't I, love it actually that much either. Yeah, continue. What what I thought was so special about it was just um the the commentary on the lenses that men and women make uh, films and how they can be different and the and the barriers that that women have to go through and how that inspires their work. True, I think it's really interesting. It's it's I found the movie slightly convoluted. Like it was kind of flipping between this this drama about men and women and like also like reflecting on in, in, Ingmar Bergman, which it didn't totally like reconcile the two things that I was doing, but. Again, I was in your boat where I was just like, they're going on a Bergman safari and I can't not be happy about this. <laughs> yeah, I, I think you're right, though. It, 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 there's so much that it's trying to tackle. And, and while, while it might, might not like connect super cohesively, I think there's just so much meat to chew on that. Like, how could I not love it? Totally. What was your biggest disappointment of the year? Ooh, that is a good question. As far as expectations versus what I actually thought um, of it, maybe the beta test, which is Jim Cummings' uh, new movie. Mm, yeah. I, I speaking of convolution, I, I, I thought I thought that one just was just had so many balls up in the air trying to juggle, and, and it just all kind of fell flat for me. Yeah, I know some people will disagree with me on this, but like I really wish that Jim Cummings would start acting in other people's movies. Because mm. I think he'd be like an amazing, like, I think he could just be an amazing character actor in Hollywood. And I think he makes like fun indie movies that are good mm. some of the time. Like, I really like Thunder Road. Oh, but, yeah. I mean, it's awesome. But like, if he could Benny Safdie it up a bit and like work with PTA, but also work on his own projects, oh like, God. you know, I think, I think he has potential to do that. And I just wish he would do that. I, that, that totally makes sense. I think my biggest disappointment. Honestly, I wasn't disappointed by that much. I don't really know. We'll talk about like Licorice Pizza and Last Night in Soho later. Those mm -hmm. are probably one some of my more hyped movies of the year. I don't know still because I've only seen them once if I'm ranking them so highly because I was just so happy to be finally seeing those movies or if they actually lived up to that hype for me. That will only, you know, that'll probably come out on like repeat viewings, but like maybe Dune, like I know a lot mm -hmm. of people will like murder me over saying I was disappointed by Dune, but I thought it was good. I didn't think it was like a masterpiece. And I've been like waiting since Blade Runner 2049 to see this movie. how do you feel about Dune? I liked it. I, 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 yeah. I thought it was such an interesting balance between high sci-fi slash high fantasy and high art and it was yeah. it was al almost as if like he was trying to appeal to two different crowds and, and and make them both fully satisfied and afterwards it came out like no one was 100 percent. i'm in on this movie this was 100 percent exactly what i wanted and while that's that's really hard to do and it it was a pretty great movie i i it, it wasn't tarkovsky and it wasn't star wars you know that's a, that's a, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Like, I think, I mean, I was surprised on like on Letterboxd, how many people were really like all in on this movie. Um, I, I kind of agree with you, you know, he's trying to like, I think he learned his lesson with, I'm talking about Denis Villeneuve. I think he learned his lesson with Blade Runner 2049, that if someone gives you $150 million, like you have to make it accessible <laughs> to the public mm -hmm. and i love blade runner 2049 but like you know it's not it's just not going to make its money back unless it's like if it's like a moody dreamscape so i think i think with dune um 
I don't know. I'm curious to see how it comes together in, in the part two thing, but they were also advertising it like it was a complete movie and it just, it, it just, it felt incomplete essentially. You know, we got, we got half of the story, which is also yeah. part of the problem, but I think that's just how they had to advertise it. I wonder how we'll think about it in retrospect after, after part two comes out and because it, it is, it is just one half of the pie. And so once, once part two comes out and when we're able to, to binge watch it and, and watch them back to back, will we think of it more at like Lord of the Rings where it's just one cohesive piece of art or will, will we think about it like as in like part one was boring, part two was where the action's at. And I, I, I'm, I'm curious to see, see um, how Denis wants to kind of position that. Yeah, that's a good point. Before we dive in, um, we should start with, start with our number five. Um, I'm just going to shout out Spider-Man No Way Home because I know you won't. Um, I thought it was <laughs> I thought it was a fantastic theatrical experience. Um, that was that was maybe that was one of my favorite theatrical experiences this year. Actually, no, I I went to the premiere of Red Rocket. That was probably cooler. Um, in terms of like not non-event screenings, I think Spider-Man No Way Home, like just how hyped the crowd was, was just like really really fun. I saw it the first time last night and it's, it's been a month since it came out, like still packed theater. Like really it was, yeah. Like I, I was surprised crazy. and a, it was just more, I had more fun than I thought I would. And B just like, there's so many kids there, so many kids laughing and like shouting. And like, it, it was such a joy just to see other people enjoying it so much. Like that, that, that's, that's so special. Totally. Totally. Well, we know how much you care about Marvel um so what was a little bit a little bit (laughs) what was your number five this year my number five was kind of a movie kind of not a movie it was uh the beatles get back peter jackson's three-part beatles documentary on disney plus how how did you watch this first of all did you watch it over did you watch this in a day did you watch this over a few days did you break it up further if it all came out at once, I might have actually watched it in one day. I watched all <laughs> seven, eight hours. But because he he split it up into three days, and the first first uh, episode came out on Thanksgiving, I could not wait. So after after yeah. Thanksgiving dinner, uh, me and my dad, and my sister watched the first hour and a half or so of it. Nice, nice. And um, what 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 was your what was your experience with this movie? Just to start, because I mean, like, it's such. It's so long, but immersive, but just fast, especially if you're a Beatles fan, like both of you and I are. But um, what was what was your experience watching it? Yeah, because it was so long, like during during my viewing, I feel like I was able to kind of run the full gamut of emotion. And I I was feeling like, holy shit, this is incredible. When Billy Preston uh, shows up and starts playing the keys. Right. And I'm like, wow, this is so interesting. Just just hearing. uh, Paul and John talk or, or uh, uh, George and Ringo work out Octopus's Garden. And, and there are also times where it's like, man, like I, I feel like I've, I've seen them rehearse get back seven times. I'm kind of over it. But like in retrospect, it's like, holy shit, just like it was all able to kind of sink in and, and I was able to kind of appreciate the full picture. And it, 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 the, honestly, thinking back on the movie was better than actually watching the movie. That's a good way to put it because. It is long. I almost, and you know, Peter Jackson is notorious for not being able to make cuts on his movies. Like the Hobbit does not need to be three, three hour movies. It just doesn't. I think with this, I I, I wish there was like a theatrical cut and uh, an extended version. Cause I think there were times in this where, yeah, you're like, okay, I've seen them rehearse, get back. I've seen this, but then I, I found myself at the end of it, just not wanting it to end i think it's like Mm -hmm. it's one of the most unique portraits of it's it's one of the most like intimate portraits of any band i've ever seen i've seen a lot of rock documentaries i you never get this kind of like footage where it's so candid and they're working out songs and stuff and just to be have that be also with probably the greatest band ever it's just crazy the the perspective that you get into like their creative process. Yeah. I think that's what makes it so unique is, is that there isn't, there hasn't been a document of the creative process that lays it out exactly like this, where, where you get to see literally every step along the way of, 
of a song's birthing to to its like actual recording. Yeah. What was your favorite part of the documentary? Billy Preston. Billy Preston. <laughs> I, lo- I love that man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It, it was like um. It was almost like before he came in, the Beatles were, like were just kind of going through the motions. They were stuck. They didn't know what to do. And then this this like lightning bolt came in and like energized them all. Yeah, it's it's epic to see that, and it's also it's it, it's it's really cool the way you see. I mean, the public narrative for the longest time was like Yoko Ono broke up the band, and they were like miserable at the end. And you can see like they're getting on each other's nerves, and they're not as tight as they were. But God, they're still having fun. They're still having so much. So much of it is just like John Lennon being goofy, which yeah, is just exactly lovely. He's hilarious. Um, I think my favorite parts of the doc were. I mean, other than just, you know, random pieces of them goofing around where like the first time they play each other's songs for like the group or like when mm-hmm. Paul is just composing Get Back out of the blue in like two minutes, he's just kind of like riffing and then starts going, get back, get back. And you're like, what? Like, how are you just doing this? Um, that stuff is just so, it's just so crazy. And it's just so crazy that that footage exists and is accessible mm-hmm. to the public. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it just like like watching watching Paul and John sing two of us through gritted teeth and just goofing around. And, oh, and it was hear, so cute. Paul McCartney's daughter sing like Yoko when, when they're rehearsing and, and just, just all like the old blues songs that, that, that they're covering. Just oh yeah, they just around. they just start they just start playing old blues songs sometimes because they were like that's what they did in the fifties. They just like start playing their old hits and like just randomly just to just for fun. It, it's like it, it is such a treat just to watch this band play anything it's so fun it's abs yeah it's super fun um yeah okay i'm gonna jump into my number five uh my number five is come on come on um this is uh this is only the second mike mills movie i've seen i saw the beginners a long time ago i love it i still haven't seen 20th century women uh you know i just I haven't gotten around to it, but um, this was such a like grounded and like, I love, I love movies that are just like a very narrow story, but they feel broad because they're so narrow. It's so high. It's such a hyper specific situation that feels so universal. It's like this like distant uncle with this boy that they kind of, they're kind of going through life together. You know what it reminded me of? Have you seen um, Alice in the cities? No, I have not. It's a Vim Vendors movie, but, but, you know, like you've seen like wings of desire and some of his other yes, stuff. It reminds me of the way it's kind of meandery, like his stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, and there's one in particular where this guy's traveling with this girl. That's not his daughter. How's, how does he know her? I don't remember. I think his mom, like he's like babysitting and he's kind of traveling around with her. But anyway, um, I think it really, I think it just really captured something uh, in the moment and this sort of this sort of weird relationship that they have just felt so genuine. Um, <laughs> you said that you saw this movie as well, right? I saw it and I loved it. I really flipped for it. Yeah. How, how did you see it in theaters? Oh yeah, I, I, I saw it um, uh, opening night. How was how 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 was it seeing in theaters opening night? Like, what was your what was your theatrical experience with it? I wish I could say I was in a packed theater, but there were maybe 12 other people in there. Right. Which made it a lot better for me just to cry. Yeah. Yeah. It was emotional. I, 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 there are probably six or seven different parts, which, which really got me. But, but I, I think the part that made me cry, cry, it was um, there's, a, there's a part about halfway through the movie when, when um, is it Jesse's? The, what are the names of the characters? I, Jesse's got to be the, Jesse's the kid, I think, right? Yeah. What's, what's the, what's the, I'll just call him Joaquin Phoenix. <laughs> yeah, Joaquin Phoenix works. Um, there's a moment about halfway through the movie when when um, Jesse, the kid, um, finally just reaches out and, and holds Joaquin Phoenix's hand, and it just it really got me. It's like this 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 time where where this this young child finally feels safe enough and and emotionally vulnerable enough to really fully embrace his uncle, and then it goes straight from that scene right into a scene of them enacting like 
WWE wrestling fights and stuff and they're just playing with each other <laughs> wrestle on the bed and like I, I, I just couldn't stop crying about how sweet it was it's 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 so sweet and genuine um yeah it's also it's it's so much about how like kids have minds too and like because I mean there it's it's all it's all in the backdrop of like Joaquin Phoenix's character is interviewing all these kids that I, I I would only assume aren't actors like I think that part of it was almost semi-documentary like he's he seems like he's just interviewing kids to ask them about like their life their like views on the world their struggles and everything and I mean so much of it is like how we don't often how we were all there and we were all having these thoughts and then as adults you don't often like look at kids like they have like they have their own thoughts and minds and, and oftentimes they do, and they have really interesting thoughts. Um, yeah. I just, it, it, it hit hard. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. The oddly enough, the movie that it reminded me most of was the Mr. Rogers documentary that came back that came out a couple of years ago. And mm. like, like what you were saying earlier, like these are children with like fully fledged emotions that they just can't express that they, have these strong strong feelings that they're so real they just don't know how to put them out in the, into the world and that can be so frustrating when not only they're not able to express themselves but when when adults and the people around them don't take them seriously and it's it's almost like a call to, just to be like hey like these these children are, are, are people too and, and we, we need to do a better job about about making them feel safe and comfortable and and about learning how to exist in this crazy hectic world of ours totally totally it was fantastic. Um, what's your number? What's your number four? My number four is Teton, which is a <laughs> French movie directed by Julia de Corneau, which is about a woman who has sex with a car. Which, gets- by the way, I said in my letterbox review and got marked a spoiler. And I'm like, this like letterbox must have tagged it as a spoiler. I mean, this happens in the first five minutes of the movie. I, I, I will spoil very minimal just to tell tell about the plot. It's fine. <laughs> it's it's about a woman who has sex with a car, gets pregnant, and then assimilates into a new family that is not hers. Yeah, that works. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways you can describe this movie. Um, One of them might be batshit crazy. <laughs> yeah, Paige asked me before the screening, uh, "What is body horror?" And I said, "You'll oh. see." um yeah no i saw this at can as well um and i it was like a last minute decision i had a break in my schedule and there was like a short standby line i was like let's just see the movie that everyone calls like the craziest movie of the year and and i'm I'm so glad i saw the palm door i'm so glad i saw it there it was insane i'm I'm sure Paige wasn't expecting to see motor oil as vaginal discharge (laughs) Probably not. No, it's probably probably not what she was thinking of. Um, <laughs> I hope that I hope that people with 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 no context are like, oh yeah, let's let's check this one out. Um, you should you should put that quote at the top. <laughs> <laughs> Motor oil is vaginal discharge. Yeah, it's. <laughs> oh my god. No, there were the, there were the audience was was. N- did not have the hype built around it that it later mm-hmm. that it later got after it won the Palm d'Or and everything. And so people were there, but I mean, people started walking out during this. I don't know oh, if that sure. happened during your screening or if you th- saw it in theaters, but people were not, <laughs> some people were very not about this and it was hilarious. <laughs> um, but nonetheless, a really, a really, really fun um, screening to go to. Yeah, I, I I think it was so such a fun and interesting watch based on not only like how crazy it is and all the twists and turns it takes and just just the nature of the storytelling, but also just kind of what it says about about gender and family and love and like I'm not gonna spoil the ending, but like holy shit, like I I did not expect to be almost tearing up at the end of this movie. <laughs> I mean, just one of the most unique movies of the decade, literally. I mean, I know we're only yeah. starting the decade, but uh, fantastic. Um, 
My number four was a hero, which have you, have you seen this yet? No, we were talking about this. You have not seen this. I have not had the pleasure to see it yet, but I, I, I will see it my, the first opportunity I get. Yeah. So this was my first Asgard Ferrati movie. Um, I have since seen a separation and adored that. Um, this one falls very much into the boat of like, it feels, it feels almost like Italian neorealist. Like it's, it's really going back to like these like moral dramas that you used to see a lot more in the forties and the fifties. I think when people cared more about morals, like, I mean, part of it is it's set in Iran, which is a, is a really deeply religious company. It's, it's a it's 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 a deeply religious country um, that that has a lot of gender disparity in it, um, and so there's there's a lot of that there, there's a lot of issues that 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 get broken down in in their government and their system um, that are just fascinating to see the way it unfolds, and you know it's it's sort of it's a movie where you can identify with every character in some ways. It's just unfortunate that they're clashing. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, I think, I think that a separation does that as well with the marriage. And I mean, as does, as does, as does the movie marriage story. But um, I think, I think that that, that part of it worked really well for me. And what exactly is the plot of a hero? Yeah. So what, what happens is, this guy, this guy's in prison um, because he couldn't pay his debts. And then um, his girlfriend finds a purse with a lot of money in it at a bus stop. They decide that instead of paying off his debt, that they want to give it back to the purse's rightful owner. But because they're not supposed to be together, like, like, like no one in their family knows that they're together. They decided to pretend that he found the purse instead. So there starts to be some deceit, but it's all, it's all out of goodness. And then someone comes, comes to pick up the purse. But then by the time the story comes out about the selfless act um, about this man who wanted to give a purse back, uh, people start questioning the narrative and questioning the holes in his story um, and he realizes there's no evidence that he ever got a purse or gave it away. And so then, so then his story comes into question when he was just trying to do something selfless. So it, it, and it, and it sort of takes a turn down this, like, well, what should you do? Should you believe someone? I mean, he, 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 he was lying out of the goodness of his heart. You know, it, 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 it takes a number of turns, but it's, it's kind of, it's a fascinating movie. Yeah, interesting. I'm definitely going to seek it out the first opportunity I'm able to legally. Legally. Um, no, I will if I if I have the opportunity to see this in a theater, I will I will choose to go to the theater. For sure. I think I think it'll come out. I think it comes out on Amazon soon. I'll have to check that out as well. Um okay, are we on to your your number 3? Yes. My number 3 is The French Dispatch. Hell yeah. Wes Anderson's new movie about a but the final publication of a of a how do you say it like a French uh, dispatch? How, how you... It's 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 the dis it's the dispatch of the Kansas Liberty Evening Post or something. There we go. R- rolls right <laughs> off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the the whole movie are these these three smaller stories and and two even smaller ones on the that book and them. And it, it is something that Wes Anderson's done before, but I feel like he hasn't done it in the same way where he's just able to tell, tell so many different stories that connect thematically and visually so well. Totally. Um, how, do you, how do you feel about the direction that Wes Anderson's career is going? Are you referring to just uh, his overindulgence in stylization? I, I mean, I would kind of talk about his overindulgence, but I, I'm, 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 I'm curious how you feel about that or if you feel like if because 
I mean, his style is certainly changing. And I think every movie, it drifts further towards larger casts and more beautiful visuals. I, I, the only reason I would be worried about that was if his movies were getting less uh, substantive. But especially with, with this and Isle of Dogs, I, I do not feel that way at all. Like, keep them coming. Like, there, there's, there's nary an actor in the world who I would not want to see in a Wes Anderson movie. And especially if you're able to structure it in a way where, where each each actor is, is given an actual role rather than a cameo, bring it on. Like, I, I never knew, like, how well Benicio Del Toro could, could do in a Wes Anderson movie. Until uh, now. I mean, yeah, that's that was my favorite story of the whole thing. I, I think I, I, I think with this one, like I first of all, I had a fantastic time. It was just so fun. Um, I also saw this one at Cannes and uh, I waited outside because I couldn't get tickets, but I waited in the standby line and like for an for like an hour and a half and I got it. And it was just it was it was epic watching it. Um, I. I, I, I worry that they're less substantive. Like when I, when I went back and watched Royal Tenenbaums recently, I really, I really got drawn into the characters. I mean, and the visuals sort of were there to supplement the characters, but they weren't, they, they weren't distracting. Um, I just, I just felt like with this one, like, oh, like, I wish I got more of the story of the painter and I wish I got more of Owen Wilson and I wish I got more of Bill Murray. And there was so much that I just wish I got more of, which isn't always a bad feeling. Like, you know, it's better to want more than to want less, but I, 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 I hope that, I hope that if he's making these kinds of movies that he does also return to small dramas eventually is, is, I guess my only thought on that. But just just to go back to French Dispatch, yeah. that's the movie we're talking about. Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, that's all right. I, you you cannot have a discussion about a Wes Anderson movie without talking about his oeuvre as a whole. Totally, I agree. But I, I think the the first segment with uh, Benicio del Toro and Leo Sedu was might have been my favorite thing that he's done since Tenenbaums. Ooh, ooh, that's a good take. That's a really yeah, good take. I, I just thought it it was so particular and, and so emotional and so Andersonian in that I I felt like I was being guided along almost like a ride at an amusement park, but not like a roller coaster, almost almost one of those like really slow raft rides where it's like <laughs> you're, you're going through, enjoying yourself, and bam, a spotlight comes on. Your eyes go over here. A spotlight comes on. Your eyes go over there, and you're just seeing these like meticulously, like like artfully designed sets. And mm. and uh, I, I don't think I've ever felt more like in control of a master in one of his, his films than, than in that segment in particular. Yeah, I mean, I would, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. Like this movie is just electric. I mean, it's so visually just fascinating um he's doing so much like he like he throws so much at you um i might cut this timothy chalamet sleeps with francis mcdormand should i <laughs> say that on the podcast or should i should i cut that and let that let people be surprised by that i don't get the spoiler <laughs> okay timothy chalamet sleeps with francis mcdormand like <laughs> that's awesome <laughs> like that's crazy <laughs> Like Frances oh McDormand is partners like in 2021, she she partnered up with Denzel Washington and Timothy Chalamet. And is is that crazy? Just how <laughs> banal it comes off in the context of, of absolutely. The... You're like, like oh, yeah, yeah, of course. That feels like the next logical <laughs> thing for them to do. Oh, <laughs> it's gosh. fantastic. Um, yeah, so much great stuff happens in this movie. Um, Anything else? I mean, I could talk about this movie for we should just do this, do a separate pod on this, honestly. <laughs> yeah, we could easily fill an hour. I could I could fill an hour on Owen Wilson biking and talking about how he <laughs> likes to bike. I'm just laughing about him and we could, off his bike. And, and we could talk about our experiences biking, and we could talk about <laughs> biking in general, other biking movies. Um, we could just do a do an hour oh, on that that segment. <laughs> so much in this. Uh, all, all in an Owen Wilson voice. <laughs> wow i can't i can't do it Let me, can, i'm not gonna try can you try i i can i can cut it if it doesn't if it doesn't work all right i i, I want to preface i've never tried a no one wilson 
Go for it. Wow, I'm on a bike. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> wow, I'm on a bike. No, that didn't. Yours was better. Shit. I gotta work on my Owen Wilson. Um <laughs> well, we have we have time before our Owen Wilson. The apartment. No, I can't do it. Shit. Okay. I'll think about it. I'll work on it. I'll I'll stare in a mirror all night and I'll oh my gosh. Okay. My number three. Are we are we ready to move on? I mean, yes. <laughs> okay. My <laughs> my number three is last night in Soho. Right on. Did That's you right. see this movie? I did, yeah. Opening night. This is the most this is the most surprisingly like divisive movie that uh like I thought everyone was gonna be on board with this. When I went to theater, theater's opening night and saw this, I was like, yes, everyone's gonna love this. And then not everyone loved it. Mm-hmm. And I understood some of the criticism, but being a fan of like 60s and 70s erotic horror thriller, like mm-hmm. like it was so up my alley with the kind of like repulsion vibes and the don't look now stuff and like just the way they wove this story i mean i'm also just like a sucker for just like 60s nostalgia and the way they like talk about i I, I mean i mean the whole theme of like how nostalgia like isn't always accurate to the time like isn't like like we sometimes over glamorize uh periods when they had these sort of dark undertones when they had a lot of issues at the time uh that we tend to gloss over uh, that is fascinating um sort of the opposite of licorice pizza in that way Mm -hmm. you know um but i just thought it was a really creatively told story uh you got like a great diana rigg part a great anya taylor joy part uh i love terrence stamp i just had a really fun time Yeah, I, I mean, great Terrence Stamp, like the the, the legend, <laughs> the legend. But yeah, I, I, I think there's very few people who can do what Edgar Wright does at the beginning of movies, where it, it's almost like a like you're getting shot in the ass with a paintball gun. It, it just like bam, this 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 like zap of energy that that just pulls you in. It, it's so propulsive, and it. It uh, unfortunately for me, it, it didn't quite last throughout the whole the whole movie. It, it, this this was uh, another one of his that I I liked a good deal. Did, uh, definitely did not love, but I, I definitely definitely see why people just absolutely fall in love with this movie. What what didn't work for you? If I'm if 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 you don't mind me asking, it's almost hard to articulate. But I, I had a similar problem with Baby Driver in that I I, I feel like around the halfway point, uh, third act point, the storytelling just, just begins to feel a lot more generic for me in, in that I, I I cease to see what is so unique about the movie in the first place. That's a really good way to put it. Um, yeah, I mean, Edgar Wright... Ed, Edgar Wright and Wes Anderson are very different, but I think um, they're both... They're both um, I mean, they, they both almost have developed their own uh, cinematic uh, like texts and trademarks and stuff. And they're and they're and they're both kind of you're seeing them both at, at this point in their career, um, borrowing from others, but also like exploring internally and trying to trying to expand on ideas that they've done in their past movies. Um, I think I think with Edgar Wright, like, I mean, Baby Driver is the most comparable thing he's done to this just because it's it's a hard genre it's it's a it's a genre movie of a genre that we don't really have anymore. Baby Driver is almost like mm-hmm. a genre unto itself. Um mm-hmm. I wonder if this will have the opposite trajectory as Baby Driver where I feel like Baby Driver is super super hyped up at the time and people kind of forgot about it and then I think I wonder if this will kind of have a resurgence later or maybe people will just decide it wasn't it wasn't the best movie but uh i would really imagine cool. i would imagine that would have a resurgence just because even with the negative reception it's like people forget that like even like a edgar wright movie that's that's not his best it's still really damn good <laughs> it's still really damn good yeah i just i i adored this um i think it's so it's yeah it's just fun to see unique directors do unique things and like you know explore explore ideas that they haven't explored before and like 
and visual techniques, you know, I mean, both he and Wes are very visual. So I think that uh, those movies are, are similar in that way, if that makes sense. Yeah. I, I always just love it when I watch a movie and I see something that I've just never seen before. Yeah. And, and, and last night in Soho, it, it, it was these almost creatures that kind of come out in, in these dreamlike states where they are these, these, these morphine shifting amalgamation of shapes on these, these faceless men. And it, it, it was, it was the part of the movie that haunted me the most. And it, it's still something, it's still like an image that, that I, that sticks with me. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a, that's a, that's a good way to put it. It's uh, certainly haunting. Um, what is your number two? Are we, sh- are we sharing a number two? We're we sharing. My number two is not on your list. But my number one might be. Aha. Okay. Okay. You're, what is your number two? My number two is drive my car, which is the Japanese film by uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi. Right. Which, which the is, one the one the the one that I've not seen yet that I've been dying to check out. Oh, well, you should also watch his other movie this year because it was also great. For sure. Um, yeah, but uh, drive my car. It is a three-hour movie that might seem daunting at first, but it it is about this actor slash theater director who is directing an adaptation of a Chekhov play. And that he has all these different actors um, performing in their native languages. And it's just all about these rehearsals. And but the crux of the movie is about these drives that he has to and from where he's staying to the rehearsals. And he has this uh, woman who is uh, hired to drive him. And, and it's just this contemplation on fate and guilt and overcoming loss and it is it is unlike anything i really saw this year yeah that sounds that sounds really epic um what what would you say it's most like i mean is there anything you you could compare it to it's based on a um, murakami short story so mm-hmm. the one that jumps to mind is another murakami adaptation which is burning oh okay this is this is the same uh same story as burning is fascinating yeah, it, it's it's similar to burning in that um, it's almost like there's this this fog of mystery that that kind of surrounds the movie that you can't really like get your fingers on, and then suddenly it just kind of like grabs you, and you you aren't able to articulate why, but it just kind of takes a hold of you and and, and transfixes you for the, the whole runtime. Yeah, I love burning. <laughs> you need to see drive my car. Well, there's there's a. The most the most arresting uh, scene in the movie is just the scene where um, the main character, the theater director, and one of his actors are in the back seat of his red sob on the way home, and um, it it, they is, um, it is just someone telling a story, and it is just shoulder over shoulder, shot in one character's face, reaction shot, and it, it is it's the most glued to the screen I, I felt all year. It, it's there, there's something so special about just watching a character deliver a monologue totally tell a story and it's it's honestly the thing that reminded me the most is um bergman's persona where, where you're just gonna watch Ooh, um, i love this yeah where you're just gonna watch one of the characters just just deliver this story and it, it just it like it's mesmerizing honestly it's it just awesome. so so much with with honestly not even the visual but just strictly the the audio form. Totally, that's that that sounds amazing. I might I might I might check that out tonight. I might also um, well I <laughs> my three oh, no, D gra- glasses are arriving today uh, from Amazon, so I might watch a three D movie. <laughs> so you're gonna watch Monster versus Aliens. <laughs> Yeah, I might watch Monster vs. Aliens. I might watch uh, Drive My Car. We'll 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 uh, we'll see what I end up doing. Very similar movies. <laughs> Very yeah, in a lot of ways. Um, this is the one that we probably share, right? My number two and your number one. Yeah. So we can meld this into a big conversation. Uh, let's talk about Licorice Pizza. Let's talk about it. I let's love talk movie. about it. <laughs> Why is this your favorite of the year? Like, what what hit what hit you about this? So I saw this twice in theaters and yeah. the first time I wouldn't say I necessarily, it, it 
subverted my expectations, but it just didn't roll out and the story didn't kind of come together in the way I expected it to. And so it almost kind of baffled me at first in that the, the movie, which, which just takes place in the early 70s, is, is about a 15-year-old uh, kid who is a child actor, a um, mattress store salesman, a, 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 he owns his own pinball place, and he is just lusting after this 25-year-old woman who really doesn't know what she wants in the world. And, and it's about this, this give and pull between them like, will they, won't they, them both just kind of trying to figure out what they want in the universe. And the whole movie takes place in not a traditional narrative in that the scenes don't go from A to B to C. It goes from A to D to L and then to X. And, and then it's like, I, I don't exactly know how these are connected. They're almost just like vignettes that are tossed together. And we are um, assumed to uh, have them happen in sequential order just based on the juxtaposition of editing yeah yeah no totally um there's a lot that happens in this movie and there's a lot of nothing that happens in this movie and um i can't even describe i think why this movie works so well for me um other than just the fact that the characters feel so real and I think that this movie's just been kind of living in my brain since I saw it. It's just kind of lives on in a way that very few movies do. I mean, in a way that it does, it, 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 it might more than, it might more than my number one. I mean, I did see it more recently, but just um, the performances and these genuine moments from just like them meeting to the congressman to Bradley Cooper, who I think <laughs> like has pretty good odds at best supporting actor at the Oscars. Now, I don't know if you've been following, he got nominated for the SAG. So I don't know, like that, wouldn't that be crazy? That would be cool, man. That would be crazy. I mean, if he didn't like win for a star is born, but he won for like his like seven minutes in licorice pizza. It'd be insane. Oh. <laughs> anyway. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, I just can't stop laughing at Bradley Cooper. <laughs> it's absolutely fantastic. Um, I feel like I feel like I feel like Paul. It's 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 definitely Paul Thomas Anderson's most playful movie in a long time. I mean, in a really really long time. I mean, since Boogie Nights, right? Since Boogie Nights, but I mean, maybe since Punch Drunk Love, if you want to say that's playful. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, that's more dark, but also kind of playful. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fun to see him return to this side of things because he's been going down. I mean, I won't criticize. I won't, I have nothing bad to say about the master and the Holy blood and, and mm -hmm. phantom thread, but it's, it's fun to see him sort of return to his younger self. I mean, probably as his kids get older, right. As his kids kind of get mm -hmm. into this, this, this coming of age, age. Mm -hmm. I, I remember listening to an interview with him he was talking about how he was just involving his children in, in, in kind of the process of writing this movie and just mm. asking for their feedback and stuff. And, and uh, he, he mentions that he uh, lets his son read it. And his son goes like, I don't kind of get, he's like, I don't get it. Where, where's the story. And like, I, I'm sure a lot of people felt the same way because there's no react structure. It's just kind of, you're here, then you're here, then you're here, then you're here. And, and then it's over. And wow. Why do I feel like this? Why do you think it made you feel like that? Because there might not be anyone better at having people move across screen set to music than Paul Thomas Anderson. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Ooh, I like that a lot. Okay. I think my favorite scene of the year what was um, when Alana falls off the motorcycle and, and, uh, and Gary is running over to, to save her. And then he... he uh, he picks her up, helps her, and then bam, needle drop, Paul McCartney in the wings, let, let me roll, it comes in, and you just get this montage of, of them laying on a, on a waterbed, their hands touch, and it, it, it just, just makes me realize that, that there's nothing better in this world than a great rock song set to incredible visuals. Let me roll it. <laughs> Hell yeah. It also, you know, I think it it's structured a lot like I'm trying to think of a way to split this oh i mean okay a lot of a lot of like great stand-up comedians actually do this um i was about to name louis ck and dave Chappelle, who are both very much canceled now but 
<laughs> their, can- <laughs> their canceled nature aside, they're both famous for like putting out a ridiculous premise and then and then using the next few minutes to go back and justify it and like lead the audience to like a point where that's okay. And I think mm-hmm. that this movie is honestly set up like that, where it's like, mm-hmm. where it's like, um, you know, if if you were if you were a producer and someone was like, hey, I'm gonna write a movie about a 15 year old falling in love with a 25 year old, and uh, um, and it's gonna be great, you know, you'd probably be like, no, please don't do that, um, or I won't fund that. But I mean, he like he he starts you off with that and you know that there's this weird age difference. And then he rolls you into this point where you like, you really understand like their dynamic and their relationship to a point where it doesn't feel weird for them, even though like you're sort of uncomfortable with the morals of it in some ways. And I think some, for, mm-hmm. I think for some people they were more uncomfortable with the morals than others, but uh, anyway. I think the film was pretty careful about that aspect in that yeah. it's, it's, it's like, we don't con- condone this. This is just something that happened in the early seventies. This is something that totally. happens in, in this character's life. And the, 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 the furthest they go is like, there, there's one kiss in the movie and nothing more. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's, it's, it's not, it's not as if it's not as if, yeah, it, 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 it goes much further, but um, like th- this is a romantic relationship, but not a sexual relationship in any way. That's true. As far as, 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 as far as we know, um, for sure. I think, I think, um, I mean, I like everyone else was particularly just blown away by Alana Haim and, uh, and also I just, I don't think Cooper Hoffman's being talked about enough just mm. as an amazing actor in this being so, so much like his dad. And it's just so great to see him do that. Um, how do you feel about Cooper Hoffman? Oh my God. Like, I, I think the, the, one of the great things about this movie is that Cooper Hoffman looks like he's 15. He looks like he really a big, does. gangly, chubby 15-year-old that, that was that was in your science class. He and totally does. And they didn't do anything about his acne. He's just, he looks like he's 15. They even reference it in the movie where, where he goes in for, for the audition for the acne commercial. <laughs> he's, he's like, I have all this acne, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> so great. Um, yeah, it reminds me a lot of eighth grade in that way. And that like, mm-hmm. I love movies where they actually look like the age that they're playing and not like beautiful Hollywood stars in their early twenties, pretending like they're in high school. Yeah. Fantastic. And, and it's it just like, what, what he does so well is just this almost like quality that's indescribable that some people have and some people don't. And it, it like really comes out like when he's running, cause there's a lot of running in this movie, but like at the end when he's running back to the, the pinball palace and he's in his white suit, like he just looks like his dad. He really does. He looks like his dad when he runs. And then it just, it comes out in his line delivery occasionally where it's just like, mm-hmm. that was straight Philip Seymour Hoffman. Uh, mm-hmm. A man that I miss, a man that is probably my favorite actor ever. Mm-hmm. And a man that obviously worked with, worked with PTA a bunch, but uh, I know it was kind of, it was kind of, that part was also nostalgic to just see his see his son act in one of his movies. I'm acting act in one of PTA's movies. Mm-hmm. Um, anything else on Licorice Pizza? I mean, we could again. We could just. I I honestly think you and I should do a podcast on this. Like maybe when it comes out on like, you know, when maybe when it comes out of theaters, like we can mm-hmm. rewatch it and do a do an episode on it. That'd be fun. That'd be really fun. I would love to dive into this. I think the one thing that we do have to hit on is just we actually have to talk about Bradley Cooper and the, and the John Peters scene. <laughs> the Barbara Streisand, 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 Streisand. He's like, this is the craziest motherfucker. Apparently, apparently, PT actually got John Peters' permission for for this whole character. And John I Peters heard was that, like, yeah. John Peters like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Like that's what I was like. <laughs> just even funnier. I, I I listened to an inter- interview with PTA talking about this, and he's like, "Yeah, the one thing John Peters had to say is like, um, like with Alani, he's like, no, that's not how it, uh, how we would have done it. I definitely would have tried to bang her." Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and then and then, and then he like shit. writes that into the script. Yeah. <laughs> or, or like a John Peters pickup line is like, "Hey, do you like peanut butter sandwiches?" <laughs> I was like, not John Peters was not on my radar at all before this. Um, definitely, I'm gonna have to do some deep dives. Have you seen Shampoo? 
No, I haven't. Did he produce that? He's a producer, no, right? No, it was um like loosely based on him. Oh shoot! Yeah, because yeah. I mean, I mean, you know that I love um Hal Ashby, so I, I yeah. will have to go. I will have to go see that. Um, fantastic. I'm and very, uh, an- very another intrigued. kind of connection to it was was um shampoo takes place during the 1968 election of richard nixon and and this movie famously has the scene of richard nixon declaring that the gas shortage oh right 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 but i I gotta say like like bradley cooper just come in it's like he's walks into the scene lights a stick of dynamite just throws it (laughs) something explodes every time he's on screen (laughs) i'm so glad he just did some like I, i mean he's clearly just like he's he's playing for laughs but he's totally serious and he just like captures the screen um completely i i was i was worried he wouldn't um sort of return to form after a star is born given that i think Mm -hmm. that movie kind of broke him and he he's he's uh he's just you know he's back and doing his old bradley thing he's like there's no gas in the goddamn car oh steve-o that's crazy (laughs) i love that um yeah we're gonna we're gonna definitely talk about this on the podcast at some point um awesome my number one is not surprising. Um, this has been my, I, I, I decided like halfway through the year, this would be my number one and it's remained at number one. I, it's to be, it's, I've seen it the most times this year. I've seen it four times this year. Uh, it is of course, Barb and Star go to Vista Del Mar, which is the subject of our last um, podcast episode. You can, you can hear me talk about, talk about this whole movie. This movie did not work for you uh, completely. But you liked it, Griffin? Definitely liked it. Is that fair to say? Holy shit, is this a silly movie? (laughs) It's so silly. I just, I love, I love good, like, visual comedy. But I also love, Mm -hmm. I also love comedy that's in camera. It's so, Mm -hmm. like, there's so much that's going on. uh, Like, like, so much of the comedy is in the edit and in the set design and in in Mm -hmm. the character design. It's, It's not only, like, what's being said on screen. It's, like everything around it you know that's part of like what makes like a movie like anchorman so immersive too is like there's just so like there's so much being thrown at you that's not just like funny people saying funny things uh i it's so like manic and um i don't know i feel like i could i feel like i could watch this a lot more times and be perfectly satisfied it's everything i want in a movie yeah, I mean, and going back to your earlier point about, about liking it to other comedies and what it feels so special, it's like this is a stupid movie. Like it's just straight up stupid. But to create like a stupid movie that's awesome, you have you have to be really smart to do that, and you have to do it in such a smart and clever way. And that's a great way to say it. And just like there, there's so many jokes that are that are so so clever and ingenious, and it just they're throwing them at you a mile a minute too. Yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, it just, yeah, it just, it just really came together for me. Uh, what a fantastic movie. Well, um, that, that's our, that's our top five. How do you feel about that? We talked about a lot of movies. Yeah. I I mean, there's so many more movies that were just incredible. Like, uh, I, I, I'm surprised you you didn't uh, put a, a summer of soul on your list. Yeah. I thought about that. That was so I mean, you know how much I, I, I just enjoyed seeing that. I, I, I saw that at virtual Sundance, which I just saw that like, mm-hmm. you know, basically a year ago. Um, fantastic. And just like incredible footage and incredibly compiled almost like I wish that the same way get back did had like a longer cut. Cause I, mm-hmm. I could totally just like see all of those sets. I hope they mm-hmm. eventually put those out. Um, summer of soul came out this year. Um, there was a new James Bond movie out this year. Yeah. Which, I loved. Did you like the new James Bond movie? Yeah, I liked it. I I, I thought it was um, very fitting and a, a cool way to send uh, Daniel Craig off. Totally. Uh, really, really fun movie. Really fitting. Really bizarre and just awesome. Um, did you see Pig? Oh, Pig! Oh my God, Nicolas Cage and, and I, I just there, there's another scene in that movie of a character just talking that is just incredible. Yeah. Yeah. I think we're thinking of the same one. Uh, fantastic movie. Uh, Spencer. Do you see Spencer? Yeah, man. One of the one of the more intriguing biopics of the year. What a score, too. Johnny Greenwood just just mm. just slaying it. Uh, he did Licorice Pizza, too, right? 
Wasn't he yeah. in Licorice Pizza? The, the, the I mean, little bit of score there was. A little bit of score that there was. Uh, and Red Rocket, which we which we shouted out before, but uh, <laughs> might be my funniest uh, funniest uh, movie of the year. <laughs> yeah, like hilarious and crazy and bizarre. Uh, absolutely fantastic. I will I will never hear In Sync the same way. <laughs> oh my god, I I, I love that. <laughs> Ain't no lie, baby. Bye, bye, bye. Do, do you want to do a quote in character? I bet. I mean, I bet you do. I mean, oh, I mean, sure. this isn't this isn't like you know we're not doing a movie, but we could we can uh sign. I mean, I mean, you have the most legendary uh quote of the whole <laughs> podcast. I I, I probably I probably don't I don't definitely don't have a full monologue in my back. I'm not gonna right I'm now. not gonna ask you to outdo that one. Oh, let me think. Oh, <laughs> okay. So seen as the the one movie that was on both of our top fives licorice pizza it's it's only fitting to do something from that movie yeah and and so the the moment that that strikes out might be my favorite scene in the movie was when alana is meeting with a talent agent and it just is this older woman (laughs) who who, uh, so good who was was sitting there just just ask asking what what alana's great at and just fascinated by her and her she she calls it a jewish nose (laughs) and um (laughs) So the the, the, the the moment starts, she takes a good long look at Alana, takes a long drag on her cigarette and goes, you're a goddamn fucking fighter, aren't you? <laughs> and it was the hardest I laughed in the theater all year. I was dying at that. Oh my God. The theater, the theater was absolutely dying at that. That was so, I, I love, I love her whole part. You just, and, and it's all shot in these like close-ups. You're like so uh-huh. uncomfortably close to this like talent agent. I feel like I'm living in the wrinkles on her forehead. Oh my God. Great way to put it. Yeah, no, absolutely fantastic scene. Well, Griffin, thanks for coming on again. Um, thanks for right? having me. What, what episode is this for you? How many How many have you done? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> like four, maybe four or five? Is it five at this yeah, point? It's at least four. I think it's four, yeah. Four, yeah, that's a that's a good. Well, well, for your fifth time, we'll have to do something to celebrate. Right on. All right, thanks for coming on, dude. Thank you.